This week on Mindful Headlines, an intimate conversation with my colleague and friend, Roberta Romero, about a topic that takes tremendous courage to speak about, addiction to alcohol. We've heard of dry January, where many people abstain from alcohol for a month. Maybe you're giving it a try. There can be benefits like really exploring your relationship with alcohol and deciding if you can develop healthier habits. A study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association found alcohol consumption increased 14% compared to before the pandemic, with women increasing their heavy drinking days 41%. You know, I was drinking daily, uh, red wine. Um, I was hiding it. But the other side of the story is recovery. The countless people who have reached rock bottom, gotten back up, and have led happier lives without alcohol. We can and do get well. That includes Roberta, who we all affectionately call Bert at King 5 News. She's a journalist, wife, and mother. She's also a recovering alcoholic, 18 years sober. It is the first thing I think about now. It is the first thing that I keep in touch. The first thing that I put on my list before my children, before my husband, before my job, my sobriety comes first because I have none of that without my sobriety. She's kind, funny, a community leader, and she's not afraid to share her journey. I am a person who believes that it is important for me to tell my story and share my story because there's so much stigma around alcoholism and addiction. And I'm going to speak for myself. When I thought of an alcoholic, I thought of a person living under a bridge, drinking out of a brown paper bag. You know, Uh, I never thought that I, but I, I, I have a marriage. I have a job. I, I have a home. I'm an alcoholic, so there's this sort of distinction to kind of say, well, I can't be because I'm functioning. I hope you enjoy listening to our very candid conversation. And if you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, please see our show notes. There's a list of resources available to you, many right here in Western Washington. Roberta, thanks for being a part of the podcast. It's my pleasure to be here since the day I met you, Jessica. I've been impressed. I love you as a journalist and I love you as a friend. So I feel very lucky to be here. Thank you. I want to let all of my listeners know that you were one of the first people I met in Seattle. And I've been thinking a lot this morning about that breakfast we had way back when you invited me and you said, hey, I used to work at King Five. There's not a lot of Latinas on the air in Seattle. I want to get to know you. And I'm just so grateful for that moment. And I remember talking to you about how I wanted to do a podcast at one point. (laughs) And you talked to me about how you had been at King Five, and now you're back at King Five, (laughs) heading up the Facing Race Unit, and we'll talk a little bit about that hopefully later in the podcast, but um, I just think it's so cool, and I'm kind of having this moment like we're sitting here on the podcast, and it's actually come to fruition. I will never forget that either. You just moved here, and I was, I just want to make sure you felt supported, that you had a mentor, that there were people you could talk to, because this business, as we both know, is very intense on many different levels and in many different ways. And I do remember you saying, I have this idea for a podcast. I'm like, yes. And then I got the chance, you did it and you sent it to me. And I'm like, wow, it was, this podcast is so impressive. I I listen to a lot of podcasts, so I feel I can be the judge. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I have a high bar and it's excellent. Thank you for your support. It really does mean a lot. And thank you for being here today. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about your recovery from 
um, addiction to alcohol. And I know it's a really difficult topic. So I'm so grateful for you for being so open. You've always been a really open person um, since the day I met you. And then in the newsroom, when we talk about things as well. So I think this will really help and benefit a lot of people. Um, so tell me a little bit about your story and um, how your relationship with alcohol began. First, thank you. I, I am a person who believes that it is important for me to tell my story and share my story because there's so much stigma around alcoholism and addiction, especially in this day and age when we see uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of it in the streets with our homeless, our unhoused, and people have a very different idea of it. And most importantly, I want people to know there's a different side. Yes, there's alcohol, alcoholism, addiction, but there's another thing called recovery. We can and do get well. And, you know, I always want to, I think also, and I'm, I'm going to speak for myself. When I thought of an alcoholic, I thought of a person living under a bridge, drinking out of a brown paper bag. You know, uh, I never thought that I, but I, I, I have a marriage. I have a job. I, I have a home. I'm an alcoholic. So there's this sort of distinction to kind of say, well, I can't be because I'm functioning. And what I've learned is... <laughs> I actually feel sorriest for the functioning alcoholics. It's hard. It's really hard work. And so my story, I'll have to go back a bit. You know, I was always a, a binge drinker and, it, you know, I'm older. So in the 80s and I graduated in 1982, there was it was just a given you drank. You know, you, you went to football games and you drank and you went to a party and you drank or you went to, to a dance and you drink before you go to the dance. And then there's also you know, just the social things with your parents, you know, if you had, went to a wedding, if you go to a funeral, alcohol is just a fabric of our, of our world. And there was zero education around it. I had no idea there was such a thing as alcoholism or recovery. I just knew everybody drank. So I binge drank and it was never out of control. I could stop it. Okay. Um, so I, I went through college and, you know, it was after I graduated that I still was able to control it. I would binge drink, but I didn't do it every day. There was no problem with it. And I'll tell you, I'm going to fast forward to a uh, career at King Five. I had a three-year-old son. I gave birth to twin daughters. I'm at home and I'm sure there was some postpartum depression there. I am far from my family living in Seattle. There was no place to turn for uh, help. So there I am, you know, this new mom, three kids under the age of three, no one to turn to. And I started drinking red wine, you know, at the end of the day, I, of course I deserved it. You know, it was really hard. And it's sort of that talk that you say in that culture that we all just mommy juice. People love to say that. And it just, Oh, it's so cringy. So I started having red wine. And then I don't know, I always think of that tipping point. When did it tip into this? You know, this is odd. This is too much. Mm -hmm. And I look back on it and there's this feral part of my brain that I knew. I don't remember saying it out loud. I don't remember consciously thinking it, but I knew this looks weird. I need to start hiding it. Like I, my husband is going to know like drinking before he got home. Cause I knew if we had a, a glass of wine, I needed more. So I drink a glass of wine before he ever walked in, but he didn't know that. So there's these weird little brain gymnastics you do to get around it. So it doesn't seem weird, but you're, you're just, you're in it before you know it and then hiding it and then trying to buy it. And then trying to um, not over drink, not under drink, getting rid of the empties. Okay. 
Okay. You don't have any idea how difficult it is to get rid of empty wine bottles, you know, wrapping, you know, they would, so I'd throw them away and they'd clank. So then I'd start wrapping them in newspaper so they wouldn't clank, you know, just those things that you don't even know what goes into being an active alcoholic. And then on top of it, the depression, the shame, the guilt, knowing that, you know, I wasn't able to cope. So I've got this high powered career. I want to say high powered, but a very intense career as a journalist, you know, being a wife, a mother, all of those things rolled into one. And all of a sudden I'm drinking every day and then I'm hiding it. So there I'm at. Um, Then it becomes a problem. And my husband, I call it the dance. You know, he'd come home and he'd say, he'd try to give me rules. He, He, you know, he'd be the nice guy. Just don't drink alone. Uh, you know, or, or let's just cut back, you know, and I'd say, of course, of course. And of course, I just went deeper underground. Then you do the anger. You have to stop. You have to stop. Then we get in the fights, you know, so it, it was just this sort of dance to do, 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 do um, until, uh, you know, and this is when the Internet was fairly new. He went online and found an, a letter to, to write someone. And I will always remember this day. Uh, I'm waking up, you know, I'm hungover. I'm scared. I'm, I'm, I, you don't sleep well when you drink like that. And he said, I have to talk to you. And he, and he wrote out a letter. And for whatever reason, it resonated with me. However, that was in October. My sober date is January 2nd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you told me that. And it's been 18 <laughs> years. Is that correct? On January 2nd, I celebrated 18 years of recovery. Congratulations. And here's where I want to say, so you fall into this black hole. You're really sick. You're scared. And now it's up to me to now find the help. If you were a cancer patient, you would get every doctor would jump on board with you. Your family would jump on board with you. Your friends would start you know, making you casseroles. But me, I had to by myself try and find help. So I'm looking at, and it was hard, you know, and I'm a reporter. I know how to search. I could not find it. And then is this a good place? Is this a bad place? Is, you know, do I want inpatient? Do I want outpatient? What does that even mean? So I had to struggle for, through that. Luckily, I started going to 12-step meetings, um, and it was there that someone talked to me about a place called Residence 12, which is an all-women's treatment center in Kirkland, Washington, right in my backyard. And I actually feel very strongly about gender-specific treatment. So I went there, and for the first time, I was really honest. They, I'd, I'd done assessments. I had, I had done a few things, but I went there, and I felt safe, and I told her the truth. You know, I was drinking daily. Uh, red wine. Um, I was hiding it. And she, you know, you have to have a buy-in. A lot of people, especially if it's their kids, they want to just go to treatment, but if they're not going to go and, you know, and do it. So you usually have to hit a bottom and I hit a very high bottom. I'm very lucky, you know, and I had rules around it. You know, I never drank and drive. I, I, I never, you know, I had a lot of rules around it too. So I had a very high bottom and she said, well, what do you think? And I think I I need treatment. And she said, yes, yes, you do. So, you know, she needed me to admit it. And so it was October and I decided I needed to have the holidays because I didn't want my kids to be without me on holidays. Can I tell you how wonderful those holidays were? Because I was still drinking. I was still hiding it. And my last drink was New Year's Day. And I'm very, very grateful that it was horrible. It was horrible. We had some friends over. Um, I set my husband out on a, on a, on a stupid errand and we had this really nice bottle of wine that I never touched and I drank it all by myself before anybody got there. So let's, it started with that. My, my friends came over, we were playing games that 
this is what all I remember at the end of the night. I was in the bathroom. I was getting sick. My husband was pounding on the door. We're both crying. Luckily, the kids were asleep. You know, there's impact. I'm not going to lie. And I have to own that. And I make living amends in other ways. It was horrible. And I'm very grateful for that because it's easy to romanticize alcohol. It's easy to say, you know what? I've gone a whole year without drinking. Maybe it wasn't that bad. And I can just remember that night and I know it's that bad. There's no getting around it. So I keep that story close. 18 years later, I keep that story close so that my sobriety, my sobriety sets, it rests on the edge of a knife. It is the first thing I think about now. It is the first thing that I keep in touch. The first thing that I put on my list before my children, before my husband, before my job, my sobriety comes first because I have none of that without my sobriety. Wow. Um, I was going to ask you, and you've kind of answered it, but maybe you can walk me through the process of, you said your husband wrote you a letter mm-hmm. and you had this somewhat of an aha moment, but how, it took you those several months to really say, okay, this is it. I'm going to do it right. Even after you had sought that recovery. And I'm sure a lot of people that have struggled with addiction can relate to that. Just not quite saying I'm fully committed quite yet. So what, you know, what made that progress? That is such an insightful question, Jessica. And I don't think anybody's ever asked me. We call them normal drinkers, normies. I don't think a normie's ever asked me that question. And that is so smart, whether I'm the person who's an alcoholic struggling or the person who loves the alcoholic, because it's a family disease. We all fall into it, everybody. So here's the bottom line. I did not want to stop drinking. It's all I knew. It's all I, it was my coping mechanism. It was my friend. It, it, you know, and I look back on it, a lot of it was just boredom. You know, you're kind of by yourself. And so it was all I knew. I could not imagine my life without alcohol. I literally could not imagine it. And then, you know, there's a, I know that I did, and I know a lot of us do this. We imagine it being sober and you think, great. So on Christmas when everybody's toasting or wedding, everybody's toasting. I don't get to toast. No, no. Like you put all these things in front of it because you don't want to stop drinking. It's all I know. There's that bottom where like, I really want to stop, but in our heads, we don't. I mean, like we, it's a very good question. And I have to think about this a little bit. So I didn't want to stop drinking. Um, I had to come to the moment. I had to, I had to educate myself a little bit and understand why it was necessary, you know, because I wanted to sort of make it work both ways. I wanted to make my husband happy. And I wanted to still drink, you know, we, this is what we say. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I had to get to that point point, mm-hmm. you know, I had to get so, ah, uh, we call it, you know, uh, the demoralization, like you, you just lose your soul. And here's the thing. If you knew me back then, Jessica, you wouldn't know. I showed, I suited up and showed up. Mm-hmm. I had a very good mask. You know, I had a conversation with Margaret Larson. She's a former anchor here. And she, when we, I shared the story with her on New Day Northwest, she just looked at me. She said, I had no idea. And I said, I know, 
I didn't want you to know. That's so good at covering it up. Yes. Yes. And, you know, just lying, lying to people, you know, because I was, I wasn't my true self. So there's a lot of that too. There's a lot of cultural part of it. You know, just, I was so used to drinking, uh, you know, my father was an active alcoholic and he, and he is dead now and he never was able to get sober. God bless him. Um, but I remember when I told him I was going to treatment and he was telling other people, which you probably shouldn't do just so you know, I mean, it's a private decision, but this is how he would tell people. I have some sad news. He would frame it that way. (gasps) Roberta's going to treatment. You know, like that's so sad. Because I'm going to get well. But that means I'm not drinking anymore. You know, I just thought it was so interesting. You know, there's just a lot that you have to battle through and just get in your head. And I'll tell you with treatment, you know, and every... I had to go to my boss. I had to go to the news director and say, um, I need 30 days off for alcoholism. You know, the shame with that. And I was weeping when he said it. And I also like to share this story because there are a lot of people high functioning and it's in my career. My ego was wrapped up in my career. And he said something that shocked me. He said, it's okay. I understand completely. Don't worry about your job. You'll have your job. You go get well. That was a turning point for me too. It's amazing you have that kind of support because I think a lot of people may have a fear that they're not going to have that kind of support. And what um, is really striking to me as I'm listening to you share your story is we do have such a front-facing job. We have a public job where people see Mm -hmm. us every day on TV. And so then to have that extra layer and to say, okay, I want to get well. And this is what it takes to do so. And I'm going to have to step away for 30 days. That's a long time, especially in TV news. It is. It is a long time. And so my sober date is January 2nd. So I went to, to, to it right before the February book, just so you know. So I was gone for that whole month of January. And then I took a couple of weeks in February as well, because I really wanted to set it up. So people always ask what treatment is like. And it's, I think all people should go to treatment. <laughs> whether you're sober or not. When was the last time that you took 30 days and and was educated and learned about brain disease and learned why you overreact, why you underreact? And then how do I cope when I'm in an anxious situation, when I see something that I'm afraid of or angry over? Why, Why do I get so angry over this? And then how do I cope with it? Would you like 30 days to learn how to do it and get the tools around how to, how to figure that out? Yeah, most people will never have that opportunity. No, no. So it, it flips into I'm a grateful. I'm so grateful that I went through all that pain and horrible stuff to become, to be able to go through that process and now be the person that I am today and have skill sets that I share with you. And I share with all the women and men in this newsroom now. And every, anywhere I go, I try and, and, and spread this relief is what I would call it, you know, and tools. I just did um, a podcast on New Year's resolutions. One of my resolutions um, that I'll share is doing a gratitude journal and keeping a gratitude journal this year. And you speak about gratitude and being grateful for that time and for your recovery. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to ask you how that plays into successfully now 18 years of sobriety. You know, and it's so funny because whenever I announce, I go to a 12-step meeting and we always celebrate birthdays. And I always say, by the way, this was not a New Year's resolution. (laughs) Just happened to fall in January. 
uh, you know, we, whether it's for me, weight loss or sugar or alcohol, these big things, when we pin it to this do or die resolution without any support or thought around it, you're going to fail. You know, I love the, I mean, I love the idea of dry, dry January. That's great. Um, and I love that. But again, when you're changing a habit and when you're changing your whole entire lifestyle, the joke that we say is you only have to change one thing, everything. Because you're changing an identity, right? Yeah. I, I, everything. Yes. How I do things. Think about going into the grocery store. Let's see, especially after they started selling hard alcohol in the grocery store. I now see uh, bottles of tequila next to the limes. You know, it's not in a certain place. I see red wine next to the French bread, you know, or whatever, or the pasta. It is now everywhere. Now I have to navigate that. I just got a treatment. I do all the grocery shopping. I need to go into grocery store. And that's where I used to buy my wine, you know. So how do I, how do I have to change everything? How do I do that? So now I walk when in the beginning, I'd walk into the grocery store. I would check in with a, a sober friend or, you know, make sure I, we call it halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Okay. And that's for anything, whether you're an alcoholic or not, if you're overreacting. So am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Or if I'm tired? So if I'm hungry, do I really want to go grocery shopping? Even if it's not around booze or alcohol, I probably don't want to do that. You know, am I angry? What am I angry around? Do I need to call someone and check in with them? Am I lonely? Well, how do I do that? Am I tired? Go get rest. So just, I kept it really simple in the beginning. So simple. I just did the next right indicated thing until I built another day. I also couldn't understand the concept of 20, a, a day at a time. That didn't, I, I literally did, that didn't make sense to me because me and I think many women, I won't speak for us all. I'm not thinking of just today. I'm thinking tomorrow I have to do the laundry for my kids. I have homework tonight for my children. I have to get my husband's lunch together. I have to get lunch. I have three Zoom meetings today. And then tomorrow I've got to set it up for four meetings. What's today? I'm not thinking of today at any point in time. So to really think about what am I doing today and what do I need to do? I love your gratitude list. That's so powerful. I love that. That is, it's going to change your life. I promise you're going to wake up differently because you're going to wake up grateful. So I, I, I have a gratitude list. I also have a list and, you know, so I write everything out. It's super satisfying to, to, to mark things out, you know, you know, just those little tricks to keep, to set me up for success instead of failure. I like what you said, the next right indicated thing. Yes. And for people in recovery or newly to recovery, sometimes you know what that means? Getting out of bed. The next right indicated thing is making the bed. The next right indicated thing is taking a shower. You know, I mean, like it's that basic. The next right indicated thing, you know, and I have to remind me 18 years later, I still, when I get panicked or anxious because alcohol was never, isn't the, let's see, alcohol was the symptom not the problem. The problem is my head, my brain, the way I think, the way I cope. And there is some legitimate brain things that happen. You know, there's a, an addiction thing that gets kicked off. So I get the alcohol in my head and it calms that part of my brain down. So there is definitely some, some brain stuff going on, but then there's also just this anxiousness, this depression, you know, and alcohol would soothe it. Uh, by the way, alcohol is a depressant. 
So when you're depressed and you're drinking alcohol, it usually doesn't work very well. So there's all those things that I learned about when I got sober. I wanted to get your reflection on some of the headlines that we've had um, throughout the pandemic. And that is an increase in alcohol sales and more people drinking and particularly women. And just wanted to get your opinion on why that might be. It is a fact that alcohol consumption, I don't know if it tripled, but it certainly went way up surprisingly or not surprisingly. There are two things that I saw happen. It was odd when the shot shutdown happened. All of a sudden, everybody's schedules were gone and I'm working from home and it's kind of fun and I'm not driving and, and I'm also scared, you know, am I going to have a job, you know, what's going on with the world. So there were two things like it's sort of fun and weird and odd and vacationy because I'm at home. So I'm drinking alcohol and then I am scared. There's, there was a lot of fear around this. What's going on? Am I going to get sick? You know, my loved ones. So there's that kind of dual thing. So you start drinking and then it just becomes a habit. And then all of a sudden, remember what I talked about, that tipping point, you're in it. And it doesn't look odd because everybody's doing it and um, there's excuses for it and there's logic around it even. You know, Zoom parties where we'd all get together and drink. Oh, that was so, it made me sad when I saw that. Um, But it was social. And I remember, yeah, it was social, but it was this weird thing because I went to a few and as you know, I was constantly going into the studio. So I was blessed with the ability to still go into my workplace. And for someone that was here in Seattle and knew it was really a great thing that despite the pandemic, I was able to go see some coworkers, even if it was just a handful of people. But I remember partaking in some virtual parties because they were birthday parties or baby showers, et cetera. And you would be on Zoom and you'd have a glass of wine or a cocktail or something. And then the party would be over and you'd be by yourself. (laughs) And it was such an odd feeling. And I'm not someone who drinks um, during the week or at home by myself. And so then I just remember thinking, but now I'm home by myself and doing this. And to your point, I could see how it was a really slippery slope for a lot of folks. Exactly. And, you know, and then you're in it before you know it. And then how do you get help? And how do you stop? You know, being somebody who's in long term recovery, people always, at this point, you know, they ask me like, I don't know, do you think I have a problem? Or do you think there's something going on? Do you think I'm an alcoholic? Very few people use the word alcoholics. It's a very loaded word. So I would say, well, what are your rules around drinking? And they would say, oh, well, I don't drink, you know, I don't drink uh, during the week. I only drink after five. I don't drink hard liquor. I drink red wine. And I say, you have a problem. And they get really outraged. And they say, what are you saying? Why? And I say, because normal people don't make rules ever. When they say, wow, I'm drinking too much. I should stop. They stop. They stop. And I, and, and it's a bitter pill. People get very angry, like, well, that's not fair. And I'm like, well, I'm just telling you, it started with me that way. It started with me that way. And with most of my friends who are in recovery, always starts with the rules mm-hmm. and the switching up of the alcohol. So I'm not going to drink hard alcohol. I'm going to just drink red wine. I'm just going to drink beer. But then, you know, anyway, so Interesting. Yeah, there's lots of lies. Yeah. Um, I wanted to also ask you, and we talked about this before I started reporting, um, but we talked a lot about just addiction overall. It's the reality is a lot of people 
deal with addiction in different ways. You know, there mm-hmm. can be people that we might be addicted to, relationships that might not be healthy relationships that we're addicted to, substances, or just habits that we've formed over time. And um, you mentioned this a little bit about um, not quite wanting to initially, after you got that letter from your husband, wanting exactly to give up alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, And you mentioned a little bit of fear surrounding that fear of what life is going to be like when you are not relying on this crutch. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. Like I said, be it a relationship, be it um, some sort of substance, be it just a lifestyle or um, situation that you're in that you're kind of scared of letting go. We all deal with that at some point in our lives. So um, what's your advice for folks in that? I really appreciate that. I'm going to tell you some other names around that. There's love addiction. There's sex addiction. There's tech addiction. And that one I think is a really big one. And I'm sugar for me as well, still, um, shopping, gambling. I mean, there's so many, so many, uh, but they all have a lot of the same roots. And I would say that the, the first step about any of these issues that you may be dealing with, first of all, you, you, you're hearing that little warning bell, the red flag in your head. You are, you, you, there's something that's going on there. The second part is, is being brutally honest. You know, if I find myself getting into bad relationships over and over or accepting lower, you know, bad, accepting behavior from someone that you love that treats you poorly. I mean, there's both versions of it. You know, hey, what's going on here? And the one thing that I've learned about uh, in my sobriety is I'm never, ever, ever going to be able to change another person. All I can do is change my reaction to them. And that's on me. So part of it is, first of all, being brutally honest. Second of all, taking your own responsibility, not being a victim. Like, well, I wouldn't do this if you didn't do that. I wouldn't be drinking so much if you weren't such a mean husband. And he was never mean. I'm just giving that as an example. But, you know, we always want those excuses. And victimhood is a very good place for anybody who's in it. So owning it, being brutally honest about it, and then get asking for help. There were two things that people don't want to do. Ask for help and accepting help. Even people who ask for it, then they don't want to accept it. There's a second step to asking for help. It's accepting it. So asking for help from experts. And that's one of the reasons why I'm super open about my recovery, no matter what, if whatever people struggling with, because I didn't know where to go. Come to me. Ask me. I know where to go. And I, you know, I'm very, I keep it anonymous. I understand the shame and the heart. It takes courage to ask for help. That's the bravest thing anybody can do. So I respect that. And okay, let's do, I understand, I get it. You know, and it's also, if somebody comes to you, it's not asking, why are you doing this? It's asking, what happened to you? What happened? Because usually there's a story behind it. Trauma is usually a lot of it as well, uh, which leads to, to, to addiction or, or substance use. There's usually a lot of trauma around it. You know, and, and I don't want to get that, you know, because I didn't, yes, there was trauma in my life, but I don't want to use that as an excuse alcoholism was my destiny. I had the brain, you know, the, the, the genetic key to it. It was what I did as a habit. I don't want to be a victim with that too. It was my destiny. And I, and I'm okay with that. You mentioned um, that you are a proponent of either a gender specific treatment mm-hmm. or perhaps um, some other smaller group. Um, why, yes. why is that? Well, because there's a lot of distraction. And honestly, for me, there was trauma around uh, men. I, w- I didn't feel safe. Uh, not necessarily. There was nothing personal, but I did grow up in domestic violence in my house. 
And so I know I wouldn't be able to be 100% honest with men in the group. I will say this, my 12-step meeting is co-ed, and I've learned so much from the men there, and I'm super grateful for that. But that initial treatment, and then we, a lot of people uh, who are trying to get sober love distractions. And by the way, when you fall in love with someone, that's what I'm going to talk about love addiction a little bit. You, when you look at brain scans, it, the dopamine release is exactly that you would see from a hit of cocaine. So I'm not getting this dopamine release, but guess what? There's a guy here or a girl or whatever, you're a, a person that you feel attracted to, dopamine release. So it's a distraction. You're not getting well. You're, you're looking for distractions because it's, it's hard to get. So it, you have to be honest. You have to face some stuff, and that takes courage and time. So you're looking for distractions. So there's that stuff. There's trauma around it. Um, and for men, too, they get their, their choice. Let's talk a little bit about youth. There's a real dire need for our young people. We don't have much in Washington state and there's a reason for that. And parents come to me all the time and we're seeing suicide ideation. We're seeing suicides. It's unbelievable, the suicide rate for our young people. And a lot of it's linked to that mental health. And we're also seeing a huge increase in substance use disorder with our young people. Where do they get help? And I know we're going sort of sideways with this, but and this could be a different topic for you. And I'm happy to help you with some experts around this. Washington State's age of consent is the age of 13. And there's some history around that. But what that means is that if you put, want to put a, a child into a, a, a treatment center, an inpatient treatment center, they can leave. They can walk out. I'm 15 years old. I don't have to share my medical records with my family, with my parents. I can leave. There's no, we don't have lockdown treatments, which I don't believe in anyway. So they can leave. And kids are notoriously difficult to help. They have nothing to lose. I had a bottom. I, I, I was going to lose my, my family, uh, my home, my career. So I had a bottom. I had a lot to lose. A kid doesn't. So there's not a lot, of, like you can take away stuff, but again, they just don't, and their brains are still developing. You know, we're seeing this huge increase with, you know, with, with, with uh, cannabis. The THC and cannabis, fentanyl overdoses. Anyway, so it's breaking my heart. There's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of education around that. And we'll do some links and I'll, I'll, I'll do some for parents particularly okay. and for teens. That would be great. Yeah, we'll post those in the show notes and yeah. we always do links there. So that would be great for um, families. And maybe that is something that we dive into at a later date. But I did want to ask you also, um, if you were initially a little bit scared about the reaction that some of your loved ones might have to you finally going into treatment. And then also I wanted to ask you if you were surprised by anyone's reaction, whether it was positive or negative. Um, and then maybe um, we could, after you answer that, we could maybe tie it together because I think adolescents often are also worried about the what their peers are going to say yes. and obviously what, you know, how they're going to approach parents or, or really ask for that help that you were mentioning. That is such a great question. Again, Jessica, I really appreciate it. Um, yes, I was very, and, and that is, I think what keeps you from getting sober as well. I didn't want to tell anybody again, I told you alcohol is an alcohol. I'm an alcoholic. That is such a loaded word. And I know, and what do you think of when you think of an alcoholic? Um, and that's what I say. This is what an alcoholic looks like. And, and, and like, oh, you're an alcoholic? Bird? So let's get back to the beginning, though. So absolutely telling people. It was my husband, my mom, who came and she was, it's very hard to do this alone. So my husband was working full time. I have three children. My mom came and stayed at my house while I was in treatment. 
I mean, what a luxury, what a gift. Not everybody has that. So she's my hero for sure. So, but just that, you know, my immediate family knew it and that was it. No one at work knew for sure, other than my news director and no one else, you know, friends wise. So one of the things that we realized that I realized in treatment is that I'm a secret drinker and being a secret was going to keep me sick. And also, you know, well, Jessica doesn't know I'm in recovery. Hey, Jessica, we should go to happy hours. So, you know, I have to be brutally honest. (laughs) So the first time I told someone, you know, a friend, you know, and I kind of made it a big deal. You know, like, I I have something to tell you, you know, and she's like, what? And I'm like, I'm an alcoholic. And she's like, okay. Did you not hear what I just said? (laughs) (laughs) I had built this thing, you know, like, oh, she's going to be so shocked or she's going to be so, you know, and here's the bottom line. Everybody else has their own problems. Nobody cares that Bert's an alcoholic. Honestly, Jessica, you have your own problems. Like, you're like, okay, you know, I love you and thank you for sharing it with me. And how can I support you? But girl, I'm dealing with my own family and my own career and my own, you know. So it was a very humble moment for me that and I try and tell this to other people when they're afraid to tell people. I, you know, I'm like, I'm just I hate to tell you this, but no one cares. (laughs) It's a a weight off your shoulders too. Huge. It changed everything. Once I realized that everybody has their own problems and nobody cares, you know, they do, you know, out of love and anybody, and I've never, I've never run into a negative. Never. I've never said I've, there's not one person who hasn't said you are no longer my friend. You can no longer watch my kids, you know, um, you can no longer, you know, I, I'm angry at you. I've never run into that. I mean, again, because we're all dealing with mental health, there was nothing but compassion. You know, I cannot guarantee that for everyone because people do a lot of damage. I hadn't, again, I was a secret drinker. It, you know, it was my husband. That's who I owned, owed the most amends to um, and my children. Uh, so, you know, those two were the ones that I counted the most and that I, meant the most to me. Other than that, you know, it's just that that concentric circle that goes out and out. So, you know, just that whole humble moment. This is a very humbling uh, choice path that I walk on, which I'm grateful for. (laughs) Ego is what screws everybody up, by the way. Ego is what is what makes things much more difficult for most people. I definitely agree with that statement. (laughs) As you know, I do a lot of work and reading about psychology and that's just a subject that I really enjoy. And it's part of the reason that I do this podcast. Um, And I also wanted to say that it's nice to know that you've taken so much out of it and you're such a compassionate person. And obviously your entire life has flipped upside down once you decided to make that change and, and be in recovery. So um, what are the biggest things that you carry forward with you that um, just universally, I think we've talked about compassion one time walking in the hallway. I will tell you the happiest people I know, not by a little, but by far are people in recovery. And I know that sounds strange. We still have our problems. I'm still dealing with, you know, an aging parent and I still have to live with a husband. We have to negotiate and children and, you know, raise them. I still have problems, but I have tools now. Not only that, with my 12-step program, I can make a call if I'm feeling, it doesn't have to be like, oh, I want to drink. It could be, you know, I'm really overwhelmed. I have a new job and I'm really scared. I can call up, I've 10 names right now, I could call up a woman and say, hey, I'm struggling. No questions asked. 
they'd be walking in that door and helping me. No questions asked, no strings attached. Or we just talk it out on the phone. Well, why are you feeling this way? Well, what's a solution? Well, you know what, Bert? You're being a whiny ass. You know, I mean, sorry for the language. You know, you're being a whiny crybaby. You know, I get called out. I get called out, you know? Or Bert, you know what you're doing. Calm down. Do the next right indicated thing. We have a lot of little sayings. So, you know, I have help and I know to ask for it when I need it. So those are the differences in my, in my daily life. And then you just build it one day at a time. I just read this interesting study, and I know we're going to do a story on it at King 5, not that I'm trying to plug it, that said there's this, there's this saying, or that what I've always heard, it takes 21 days to change a habit. I'm like, okay, anybody can get through 21 days. There's these new studies out that say, uh, actually, it takes 60. So people are probably going, oh, 21 days. I didn't drink for 21 days. I'm not an alcoholic. Or I got it. Mm, it's more than that, you know, and again, it's not about, yes, it's habit building, but it's about changing your mind. I mean, it's a mind, body, spirit evolution. And yes, it gets work. And yes, it can be hard. But once you get it down, it's the easiest thing you can do. I don't even think about it. You know, it's my, it's my nature now. Are you happier now? Unbelievably happy. You know why? Happiness is a choice not a feeling. I choose happiness every day. Sometimes I get, I, I get very angry driving to work. <laughs> and then I have to say, you know what? I'm going to choose happiness. I'm going to choose to walk in there with a positive ab- attitude. Love is a choice, not a feeling. I'm choosing to love my husband, my children, my dog. I choose it. It's such a powerful feeling to know that I'm choosing this. It's such a powerful exercise that I'm choosing it. I choose, and sometimes I have to choose over and over again, five times in a day. I'm choosing it. (laughs) I'm going to choose to be happy, not angry, you know, and I can choose to be angry, you know, but that's a choice. Mm -hmm. So you can make those, those decisions. You get to make it, or you can be really angry and unhappy. You can choose that. Absolutely. I can't afford it. I cannot afford it because that will lead me right back to alcohol. Um, well, I will say, I feel like you choose happiness consistently every day, at least when I pass you at King five, uh, speaking of that, I see you're in your office and I have to ask you about facing race because when we did have that first breakfast, you were not at King five, you just had been a former reporter and you reached out and we were getting um, coffee together. And I love that. Yes, the podcast has come to fruition. And number two, that you're back at King Five and you're heading up the Facing Race Unit, which is, you know, relatively new and something just so amazing that King was able to pull off during the pandemic. Um, And after the George Floyd murder, um, we did an entire series surrounding race. And there's so much more and so many topics to get to on a regular basis. So um, tell me and our listeners about facing race, but then also kind of your goals with the, with the facing race unit. I feel incredibly grateful to have this opportunity. Kristen Ayers was the original executive producer of this, and she created an unbelievable legacy uh, for facing race with this high quality, in-depth storytelling, which is a, is a gift in local news. I, I don't mean that I mean we do high quality reporting all the time, but it's usually very quick and day turn. We have time to explore deep topics that are uncomfortable. 
that are not that are going to make you think and are going to make you possibly angry or make you happy because we're at least exposing it and education. So when Kristen Ayers decided to resign, um, she she approached me and also the news director and said, hey, are you interested in this? And I said, absolutely. To be able to do this type of storytelling and to be able to, to do issues that we never talked about. And I have to tell you, you know, I'm in a learning curve. I have learned just about myself. Like I will call myself, yes, I'm a Latina, but I'm a non-Black person of color because I have learned listening to the stories from Joyce Taylor, from other Black people. It is different when you walk into a room and you are immediately judged for the color of your skin. I can walk into a room and some people think I'm Italian or I can blend, you know, so it's a different reaction. I have to honor that. So I'm learning like what, you know, I look back at Joyce Taylor. We both, I started in 1992 and she was already here. And now I look back at that time and I realize she was the only black person on air in 1992. What was that like for her, you know, with management and, and being sort of that person and it all rests on her shoulders. I was the only Latina as well, but her role, she was an anchor and I was a reporter. So her role is a little bit bigger, but I'm just, just thinking back on that. But knowing now in this day and age, you know, with the, first of all, our young people, you know, they're already here. They're already there. Their social awakening is already happening. So I have to catch up and honor that. I'm always telling my twin daughters in particular, I'm teachable. Please teach me because <laughs> they call me out a lot. Okay. I make a lot of mistakes. So, so being able to front this and to do it and to start deciding which stories and helping to decide which stories are on is a privilege. And then being able to now hopefully go to the next level to really be able to uh, start doing more consistent storytelling, people coming to us with, hey, we want to do this story. And yes, we can look at the problem. We know there's racist, racism. We get it. The why, the impact, the data around it. That's what I want to look at, the depth. So I'm really excited to, to take that on. It's also a lot. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> I'm intimidated. But, you know, I have people like, hey, Jessica, I need your help. You know, so yeah. I know how to ask for help. So we'll, we'll go from there and uh, and keep the bar and raise it, hopefully. And to bring it all full, cir full, full circle, do you think that um, some of your experience with um, the 12-step program and recovery um, allow you to be more open to addressing some of these issues that are really difficult to talk about and people don't often want to talk about. Absolutely. You know, I, I don't do shallow conversations anymore. I can't, you know, I just, I don't care what car you bought. I don't care what clothes you're wearing or how expensive you are. I, you know, when I ask women, like when I see women, like, and you would be a perfect example, I go, gosh, Jessica, you look beautiful day. I hope you feel as good on the inside as you look on the outside. Even if it's just to make you think like doing mental check, like, do I feel yeah. good on the inside? You know, <laughs> just yeah. things like that. So yes, bringing an honesty and an openness, you know, to a conversation and starting right away, you know, like, it's what we're going to talk about. Um, is important. And I find that people want to talk about it. Like for some people are uncomfortable, but usually the, 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 no, they're not because I'll share my story. You know, it takes maybe a second to get to the depth, but yeah, I, I'm 57 years old. I'm on the TikTok side. Like I'm looking at the clock. I can't waste any more time. <laughs> <I love that. laughs> and you know, a full circle moment, like you were saying to be here, 
to be back in a newsroom, to be back at King 5, I got to tell you, my soul is very happy about that. Journalism is public service for me. So it's, it's thrilling to be here. That's wonderful. And it's just awesome whenever we do get to have conversations passing by in the hallway. But this is something I've been looking forward to for a long time, just being able to sit down and have this kind of honest um, conversation with you. And I think it's just really going to help a lot of listeners hopefully, and we'll put this all on King five. And it's just, I, we, you and I could probably talk for another two hours and um, we'll, we'll spare everyone. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love it. And I, I just adore you. And thank you for inviting me here. I really appreciate you talking to me and asking such amazing questions. You're just such a great journalist. We're so lucky to have you here at King five in our community. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks Bert, for being a part of the podcast. Yes, absolutely. Once again, that was Roberta Romero, a journalist at King 5 News. If you need help or someone you know is battling addiction, please see our show notes. You've been listening to Mindful Headlines, where I like to unpack some of the headlines that we're seeing in the news and relate it back to our own psychology. And my goal with each episode is to better understand our world inside and out. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and share with your friends and family. I'll see you next time. 